a beautiful day we have today. It is snowing like cats and dogs. It's snowing here in Pittsburgh. What do you say, my friend, uh, Sam? Well, in in uh, Brooklyn, where this uh, the show is is based, uh, so all and those produced. people in Brooklyn who are just like Pittsburgh, what what is that <laughs> that far off land in I I assume in Asia I've never heard of before. People are sitting around that... their uh, their radio boxes and some old guy like I imagine like a 1950s like nuclear family and someone here is like me say Pittsburgh and he crumples his paper and goes Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, little Johnny, turn off that radio box. We don't listen to filth from Pittsburgh. But Daddy, <laughs> where do I get my movie info? Well, not from these scum, <laughs> those dirty Pittsburghers. God. But people from uh, Bots Bosnia, oh, they love, love it. it. They are they love it. Movie. They hear Pittsburgh and they're just like, make it the number one seven film and TV podcast in the country. Make it number maybe seven. six at some point. I um, I hope we just no, go but up we and up we and up. shout out to all our fans in Bosnia. We love you guys. I um, did just buy my Bosnian flag, so do not worry. It is mm -hmm. coming in the mail. Mm, uh, nice. Um, it's the uh, you got like the ten foot one, run like the one that you can drape across. Of course, your I, entire house. I called Good. the Bosnian uh, flag company, and they said, uh, "How big do you want this flag?" And I say, "Okay, you know how you know those Trump flags?" And he and he goes, "Oh, the ones that are like as big as the house itself." I'm like, "Yes, that's the one." Um, so <laughs> I have a Trump flag size. <laughs> Ah, I like how Where, that's a now international uh, uh, system yeah, of measurement you, you for have, flags. You have kid, small, medium, large, extra large, and then Trump. <laughs> and then there's also family sized, which is family. right before Trump. Right. Um, yeah, which you can family. Bundle for some, a whole family in. Exactly. Uh, some people actually treat family before the the guy who did um Trump the supersize me the McDonald's thing. Mm -hmm. From back in like the early two thousands, back in the future, um, he's doing a flag version called what? Trump Flag Size Me, uh, and it's actually not political at all. It's just he uses it as like this is the term you use, and of course he does interview some Trump people who have their flags, but he doesn't talk. It's it's just like what? Why do we have flags? Like what? What is the so like he? What he does is he buys every single flag. Uh, he own like he he's a big flag person, so he's just like he's he buys huge in the flags, big, huge flags, and it really ruins a lot of relationships because he's gifting flags, and it's just like what what am I supposed to do with this? Um, and uh, he talks about the Star Spangled Banner, which is a great song about a flag. Gotta, Anyways, gotta this is it. this isn't a flag show. This isn't uh, I love flags, which I'm sure is part of the Are you talking REM Remy or whatever from the. Uh, that that world which we are part of that is canon are um, we oh that's good yes that we are um we are canon with that show we are canon with um our our sister show um uh on cinema at the cinema um which we are part of that same universe um the day we become famous i swear is the day we're gonna get sued 
Oh yeah, we 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 take a lot of things, especially specifically first probably probably by Spielberg. Uh, <laughs> if Spielberg we run his name us. through the mud. The the day I realized what was, what song did we uh, get suit or did you say we get so, like cease and desist from? Uh what? There was there was something that we played. There's no we, song. Uh, wh- what did we get cease and desist on? We hmm, Radio Free Brooklyn got not us got sue uh, i don't even know if i should talk about this <laughs> oh maybe the, okay never mind um, let's not talk about but it then. it's I, yeah it's nothing to do with our show specifically we haven't had any thing um but uh all is good this is two thumbs undecided we talk about uh broad topic we should really have some kind of lead-in thing because i'm listening to blank check which is not we're not in that universe uh blank check uh has like an intro where they very quickly explain what their show is i feel like our show is kind of hard to pin down exactly what it is i mean we do talk about film and tv but it's a little it's a little bit more broader context but also uh comedic at sometimes and we're it's it's a it's a farce it's a satire maybe in a way i don't know zach's typing i just got a text from him even though we're talking uh face to face well, I'm dealing with COVID stuff. You know, I need to get a test ah. uh, to pinpoint this in our uh, in our timeline. See, this is another thing. I feel like blank check. They don't talk about their families too much, or really about their personalities. They do. Uh, they do. Oh, okay. Well, I just want to. <laughs> I, I don't hear this as much, but I feel like this is just really a, a soapbox for you and I. Um, so years later, people be like, "Oh, these were, I guess, gods among men," because they live in these boxes. Um, we hear their voices, but as a pinpoint, today is, um, I know you're hearing this on a Friday or something, but for me, I live in the past, okay? See, I live in the past. I'm a, I don't live in your fancy future. Oh, look at me. Oh, it's Friday or whenever I'm listening to it. Oh. Sunday. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I live in a. I just want to be clear. This comes out on Sunday. We're on recording su- well, this on Friday. It comes Continue. out on Sunday, but. I'm just, I'm making fun of all you future people. Like, oh, look at me. I have a fancy flying car. Oh, look at me. I just celebrated Christmas. Ooh, do, 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 do. Well, good for you. I'm living in December 19, 2020. Mm. There is still no available vaccines for the bourgeois or for the working class like me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Although you do work in the medical, you should probably, you're probably somewhat ahead, right? I, well, I I am somewhat ahead, On and actually, scene. it's kind of funny, and <laughs> I laugh about it. But um, sometime after my winter break, January fourth, they're telling me uh, I will be going in to take a photo of uh, uh, a few, like two hundred and fifty people in this uh, vaccine study are getting the real Moderna vaccine. So I'll be taking Moderna. Moderna. I'll be actually taking photos of people getting the Moderna vaccine. That's and pretty I, cool. I actually just picked you up. You should. Um, well, I just. Go ahead. I picked up my PPE yesterday, which is the protective gear. I think to, to everyone so. knows what PPE is at uh, this well, point. Well, I, I think did everyone not know what it was. You know what's I... crazy? It's like we first. Oh, you didn't. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> it, was ac- it was actually we... also kind of funny. My boss was like, oh, you have to go and pick up your PPE. And I meekly said, uh, like what's physical a... education? Well, no, I said, uh, what's a PPE? And there was a, there was a silence on the Zoom call, and he said, it's the uh, protective uh, 
stuff. Yeah, because that's literally their life. And also the business you are in, uh, PPE, I, sometimes you're... I, I always think it's interesting how like we were made fun of for not being in the loop a lot when we were kids. That uh, was a, yeah, that was the writing and joke. I feel like it partially comes down to me hanging out too much with you because you don't even know what PPE is and you work with doctors. I know what PPE is. Everyone knows what it's the same thing as like if you don't know what PPE is, do, do you not listen to the news? Do you not know what an N95 mask is? Tell me that. I know. Do you know what an N95 mask is? Of course I know what an N95. Okay. Excuse me, but when I hear, maybe this is the thing. I don't look at the uh, the abbreviations. Okay, when I say spell out Mister or Doctor, <laughs> or if I'm spelling out an email to someone and I go, my favorite first pre. Uh, First lady is Dr. Jillian uh, <laughs> Biden. I don't, I respect the name. I don't do DR dot. I do Dr. So you know, what does PPE stand for? What does PPE stand for? What is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Zach's looking at Oh up. my goodness. Right, Are you serious? Let's move on. No, it's personal protective equipment. I mean, doy. <laughs> Hello. All right, let's move on. So, uh, well, uh. so before we get to our topic today, we're talking about if you haven't, if you just were like blindly, like closing your eyes, just like I'm just gonna choose whatever, and you didn't look at the title. Um, we're talking about Jean Renoir. Renoir. Um, Renoir. Who was a famous French director, and Zach is having trouble saying Renoir. Why did you have so to we'll say that? We'll hear that. Uh, that um, that that, that was not. I'm just like, why can you you don't know what PPE is? Anyways, yeah, it's protective, um, uh, personal protective equipment. I just, said that. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, <laughs> what? So one of so we I don't I don't personally don't have any news, but there were some things that kind of popped into my head, and I know we typically talk about uh, things that we've watched towards the end, but I feel like we're gonna talk a while for about uh, Renoir, and that'll probably just run till the end. Um, so I just want to briefly get this off my chest. I finished. Um, uh, uh, I read the book American Psycho, which I picked up at Zach's place, and um, I finished it thankfully because it is very not a Christmas book, and <laughs> it is. Uh, if you've seen the movie, the movie's fairly violent. You know, it's just about like this this rich dude in New York who at night and part of the, sometimes during the day kills people. Um, Does he and, though? Spoiler. Does he? I mean, that's spoilers. Um, he, it's, it came out 2000. But the book is so much. I was not prepared for how much more violent it is because it starts off very tame. And I think the movie really gets into it. The book takes a very long time to get to his killing. And it starts the first killing is the same killing in the book where it's the killing of the homeless person. But in the book, it is so much more violent. Everything is described very specifically. And that's kind of like the point of the book. But it also, it made me think about like books uh, that turn into movies. And I think we should do an episode on that. But the only reason I hesitate on that is because I don't know how many books Zach has read. Why are you about that me... turn into? What, what are you talking about? How many books I've read? Have you read not books you've read, but have you read a lot of books 
I'm about that, to say the F word to you, Sam. Okay. Have you read books that were turned into movies? Frick. Oh, um, the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> what did uh what what did Cecil B. DeMille say? Give me a page of the Bible and I'll make you a film. All right. So excuse. <laughs> <laughs> so in a way, I have seen. All of Cecil B. DeMille movie, uh, movies. All, All right, right, fine. Let's do it. Let's mate. Freak you, All right, man. Then fine. We'll do an episode on it. Yeah, let's so do an episode thing... on the Bible. Bible <laughs> movies. Actually, that that's um, actually not another a bad thing idea, I Sam. wanted to talk about, and this also came about from my researching for this for this episode. Um, is I think it's interesting how like the two thousands, there was so many genre or there was so many different genres of films uh like the one that we're going to be getting into at least in the 30s was called french poetic realism um there was neorealism um even like there was like different waves there was the french new wave um i feel like there was so many different in like the first half of the 20th century and peeking over into the 60s there is all of these different ways of describing a type of cinema. And maybe we haven't had a long enough time to like look back on it. But I feel like some of these things they said like very quickly. Like they were just like, this is what this is. Like 10 years later, they gave it a name. And and also like the idea of post-modernism, which is like after modernism. What is that? That's been going on since the 60s. Like yeah, what is happening now? It's really too early to say about you know um so like in that same sense uh i look at comic books like i know we talk a little bit but there's like the golden age the silver age and now we're in um what is called the modern age when does the modern age become like the the dilbert age? i don't know like i'm trying to not dilbert but no the modern age honestly like i think but the modern, modern age i was just thinking about was this. a term from like the 40s Right, and but like I'm also thinking like technically, Sam, you and I are living in the 20s. So, it, like a hundred years from now, they're gonna they're gonna look on us kind of like we look at their like their old movies, like huh, like you know, we see these black people who aren't cultured, uh, see see these black and white films and no sound and go ah, oh, like this is nothing. In a hundred years from now, they'll be like, ha, they couldn't, they couldn't go in and and have sex with uh, one of the avatars. <laughs> oh <my. laughs> what That's a joke! Like from uh, I can't go in French film and slap E.T. The one. What's the oh. one French film about the guy that's like has Legionet? Are you talking about the still photo uh, future thing, which uh, was re- later remade into Twelve no. Monkeys? No. No, it's from like the 2000s. It's about um this guy who kind of just runs around and like has all these different weird. It's like a bunch of vignettes. It's like the it's like the one sounds photo like, of like the guy eating the flowers and he's like really Sounds like Run Lolita uh, Run no. Run Lola Run, which is vignettes, but I think that's German. Uh I think it's French. I've seen okay. that. Great film um, by the way. Oh, this is gonna bother me. What is that called? And it ends with like the taxis talking to each other. Taxis talk. What? I know this is very obscure movie, but it's wait. Would I know this if I saw the picture? I think you do. Oh, Holy Motors. Holy Motors. 
Oh, I have not seen that movie. Okay, you haven't seen this. Holy Motors, there's a scene where it's kind of that, where they, like, get into, like, a VR goggle kind of situation and have sex with this weird fucking uh, Avatar-looking thing. Anyways, um... It's definitely on my list. That's all I want. I, I also just feel like, you know, how Spotify has, like, so many different genres for music. I feel like now we are getting into a place where there are so many different niches that it's kind of the genre or, like, whatever artistic era we're in. It's just it's getting harder to kind of pinpoint it down. And this is a conversation. I, 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 I don't know. I just it's just interesting to me that, like, that time period of naming this uh, artistic wave or whatever is not really there's there's not a whole lot of that going on. So. I want to come up with a name, and I think we've actually talked about this before. It's kind of vaguely in the back of my mind. Have we? Have we come up? Have we decided one? I think we did. I forget though what it was. The one fan Bosnia, come back to us. R- listen to all of our stuff and tell us what what we named this current. Because I'm fairly certain. Yeah, like, and if we you go have to back go and back. maybe listen to our. You have to go back way episodes. back, even our, our podcast days. Yeah, where we still but I have a vague memory. I have a vague memory that we did something. Anyways, uh, do you have anything to talk about? Um, it, the most interesting news thing for me was uh, the Tom Cruise freakout on two uh, COVID uh, uh, people who were deni- not denying, but uh, going against the, not going against, but we're not doing COVID restrictions. Yeah. And I am. We're wearing their PPE. Like you hear about, anytime you hear about a, an actor or director freakout, you're always like, ugh, like, ooh, you know, pinky up, like, come on, get over it. This was the first one where I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is our anthem. The guy's like, psychotic. Well, I mean, he's he's crazy. Here's the thing. I actually, I do appreciate Tom Cruise, okay? I do. I think he has he has figured out, I mean, I know he, he, he doesn't have the best, it doesn't sound like his wives really enjoy him. Or like at least one wife left him, but he's in in constant adventure. Like talk about an adventure. He's kind of like a James Cameron in the sense where he takes movie making into a whole nother realm. Like it is his life, and he does all his stunts. Like he can say on yeah. his de- on his deathbed, he's like, "I've run up a building. I've jumped off a plane." He was on the edge of that plane. Like that's crazy. I mean, if we're if we're talking semantics here, I can also say the same thing, I just mean, because I can talk. <laughs> but what are you talking about? I've seen. No, we've seen. There's footage. No, of him. I'm saying that if we're saying he can say on his deathbed, I can say those same words well, on my you, deathbed. Okay, you're dying. You're, Doesn't okay. mean it happened. You know what? You're dying. But no, here's the thing. You're dying. You're like I was on the side of a plane <laughs> and I jumped off a building and be like, and then I'll come out and be like, you sir are a liar. Now die. <laughs> And then, and then I die. And then hopefully you go, <laughs> okay. And then you pass on to whatever. I die from the embarrassment. Oh, I would, yeah, I would want to yeah. die oh. in like cause of death embarrassment. Yeah. Anyways, um, so that's my only news. I'm wondering if my recording levels are too high. I don't think so. Um, so do you have anything you want to talk about? We probably should get into Ron Jean. Renoir. Renoir. Um, no, I'm good. I'm excited. Right. Um, so we're talking about John Renoir, 
uh, and um, I actually this morning I woke up. I set my alarm uh, for eight o'clock so I could watch the rules of the game right before this, so I could reach my three movie ma- uh, mim- minimum, mim- minimum, minimum, oh, minimum, rimoir, rimoir, minimum. Um, for our thing, mm-hmm. so Sam and I have both watched three movie full three full movies of Jean Renoir. Yeah, I watched three, and then I watched bits and pieces from a few, uh, just to get. I try get to watch as many as possible. Like for Agnes Varda, I watched six, I think, of her films because I really liked Agnes Varda. Um, and I'm just gonna be blunt. Uh, I don't know if I'm a fan of this guy uh, when it comes to his movies. What it, What's your – do you like him? Do you, Would you say he's one of your uh, director. director that you love? Love? No. Um, I like what he's doing with some of the stuff. I, I feel like some of the, one of the reasons why he – he, in my opinion, is one – he's one of those directors who set the stage for a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of the stuff with innovative, I don't really. I I kind of have this blage feeling, not blage, but um, this critical feeling of thank you very much for starting something, but doesn't mean we should, you know, put you in the annals of the greatest. Yeah. Like it's great that George. Kind of like how I feel about Hitchcock. Well, Hitchcock. Well, I'm I'm starting to feel about Hitchcock, but I also. Yeah, I, I kind of like there. I feel like there are better and will be much better directors than Alfred Hitchcock. It's just I don't think like would we say that the Wright brothers are the greatest uh, airplane designers? Yeah, they made an airplane, but it doesn't mean they should be. I would put them as like <laughs> maybe like the the twentieth greatest airplane, <laughs> but not saying that his movies John Renaud. Uh, Rene Ren, uh, Renoir line Renoir Renoir Renoir's um, movies are bad. Uh, I just don't put them up as like so. The movie the uh, the rules of the game is on the BFI's 2007 list as number three greatest movie of all time. There's it was also um, Sound and Sight, which is a British publication. Their first ever ranking uh, in like the 50s ranked it in as number 10 of best movies of all time. Um so it's been the 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 rules of the game is his most famous film. I think if you talk his most well regarded uh, it is this film. The movie that I actually oh sorry, uh it's number 4 and the uh the sign and sound top 250. It's but, for, yeah. But I still win. I uh, this is um, doesn't say on this thing, but I believe it's two thousand four. It came. Okay, out. I was talking about the one from the fifties. Uh, two, uh, sorry, two thousand seven. Like their first publication in nineteen fifty one when they ranked. But it's movies. always it's always in the top ten for internet. Like when you yeah. put all the movies together, it's always like Citizen Kane, a Hitchcock film, uh, Tokyo Story, and the Rules of the Game. And I, you know, I saw it bright and early, and I, I actually, I get why it's, I understand why it's number, like, in the top ten. Because it was doing, so, well, okay, I'll, ex- I'll try to explain my reasoning. 
is it was doing something that I don't think a lot of 1930s movies were doing. And maybe a lot of movies after did it successfully, which is almost kind of like a Royal Tenenbaums to bring it into terms today where uh, it's a bunch of different stories. And I watched an interview uh, where someone explained how you don't, this wasn't really known back then, but you have this perspective of who's going to be the main character. Uh, and you see like it starts off this way and then it kind of flows throughout the house. And then you see uh, like the main character talks to a, a groundskeeper and then we follow the groundskeeper and then the ground keeper plays around with, uh, you know, the guard's wife and then we follow them and then they run past the, you know, it's kind of this intertwining thing and i was actually at towards the end where uh it's kind of the confirm uh, the conflict the the climb not a climax but the build-up of this guy the, like the groundskeeper running around this house with a gun to shoot uh the guy who's fooling around with his wife spoilers yeah spoilers uh, i don't know spoilers on, at this point spoilers on okay, throughout fine um but especially for old stuff but um I found it really impressive because they really were doing it was almost kind of like not a slapstick but it felt like a like a comedy but also a drama like one like mm-hmm. him running around with a gun is kind of funny until you like everybody thought in the house that was funny but then they 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 thought it was because it was like an art show like part of the party until mm-hmm. they realized that oh this guy went insane <clears throat> mhm though th- I think yeah oh go ahead I think a lot of <clears throat> his films is ahead of its time. Like you watch the films and you realize, oh, this is just like this sort of film. But then you see the year that it came out and you're like, oh, I guess there wasn't a whole lot of films doing this kind of thing. But I don't think his films are timeless. I don't think you watch his film and you're like, this. it doesn't matter what year this came out. I think this rules is of the game. A, I... an entity... I, I entity just... of itself no because i let's get to let's do chron- i like to do things chronologically i just um, want to say that i disagree with you i i think yes some of his films could not be lost to time i like or but i think rules of the game could be a timeless thing because there will always be rich people there will always be um multiple stories and for that i find rules of the game to be impressive while other the mm-hmm. other films I watch, which we'll talk about, are kind of a a stamp. Yeah, so he slightly. is a uh, he was born eighteen ninety eighteen ninety four uh, in Paris. He is French. I don't know if we we said that this he's a French director. Uh, his dad was Pierre Auguste Renoir who, if you're not into paintings, he is one of, I think, besides Van... He was the painter around the same time as Van Gogh. He was a uh, uh, neo-impressionist painter from the 1870s, 1880s, the late 1800s. And um, I love his... Renoir paintings are one of my favorites. Um, But he's, unlike Van Gogh, who died a poor painter uh Renoir died 
very well on like he died in 1919 he was rather old so his wow so his father was oh you didn't know this no i i did not know this my goodness yeah Yeah. his dad's the famous painter you you know his paintings you've seen his paintings uh his so he unlike van gogh his dad was had some money um because he you know actually got fame and was able to, you know, have a bit of money. So that very much influenced um, Jean Renoir, or Jean Renoir's life. Uh, because, so he goes into the war. He goes into World War I. Uh, he injures his leg. He gets shot in the leg. And for the rest of his life, he's walking on a cane. Um, and he goes back t- in 1916 to war in France to be a photographer. Still, though, at this time, he uh, was not really into films, uh, which is interesting because, like, you see some people and they're just like, as soon as they saw a film, like, I feel like his life is very similar to Michael Powell's in, or at least his uh, cinematic career because um, they're both around the same time. One's French, one's English. Uh, so they were kind of very much affected by World War II. Um so it goes back into the world war, becomes a photographer, comes out, uh, and gets into ceramics of all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and much like how uh, Bill Hader would have worked in post production for the rest of his life if he hadn't found comedy, uh, they say that, or he says that he probably would have worked in ceramics uh, for the rest of his life if it wasn't for the fact that he had. A lot of money and a lot of rich friends. Nice. Um, I can relate to him. Which is something that, yeah, everyone can relate to that. Um, So, also, he married... Oh, I lost my place here. Uh, He married uh, one of his father's uh, uh, last models. Um, Her name was Andre Hushling. Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant's obviously related. Um, and she wanted to become an actress. Uh, so he teamed up with <laughs> Albert Duodon. Oh, oh that is not how you pronounce it. Um, we'll call him Albie. Uh, he teamed yeah, up with Albie, who is most famous now for his depiction of Napoleon and Albert, uh, Abel uh, Gantz's famous... Uh, biopic of napoleon in 1927 uh but he teamed up with albi and uh, renoir wrote a film uh which became which uh albi directed and that was kind of his first endeavor into this um and this was produced by renoir because renoir had a lot of money and uh it was called unvisan j-o-i-e um and his wife was the lead in the role. And then later that same year, uh, he started directing a film, another silent film. Really, from what I'm reading of his bio, it seems like his silent film career was him producing his own films or his rich friends producing his films and them failing. And he has, like, he starts a production company. The film fails and financially at least and if it wasn't for the fact he was this rich dude 
he would not be like we he would not be a director because his silent unlike Hitchcock, who was a famous silent was very was a very successful silent film director. Uh, and also in a, in the same way, Michael Powell, who worked, I guess, for a production company, he kept failing over and over again. And if it wasn't for the fact he was rich, he, we would not be talking about him right now. I have a question, Sam. Would you respect your son and or daughter if they were a failed, uh, like say you became super rich and your son and or daughter kept failing at being a filmmaker and you kept giving them chances and then eventually became successful. Would you still be proud of them? I would still be proud of them. Or yes. are you going to be one by, of those? But by this point, his dad was dead. Oh. But I, I, his dad died in 1919. So his uh, dad thought his son was a like a rich, boozy failure. Yeah, his well, dad no, thought I mean, his son was this his son drugged did. up. Okay, uh, to be uh, respectful, schmuck. his son did serve in like World War One. so. Fair. That's kind of. But this was, you know, this was a while ago and he turned up okay. Um. We were worried also, about nothing wrong with being drugged up bohemian in the turn of the century. That's how a lot of artists were. That's how um, a lot of artists are probably going to come out of this quarantine. Yeah. Um. But the movie that kind of cemented him and was like his biggest hit was actually his first sound film. Um, his second sound film. He made a he made a short uh, sound film uh, in 1930, 1931, uh, called Uh La Petite. Oh, that's not it. Where are we? Where are we? I guess. Ah, uh, whatever. He made a song. He made a, a a short just to like kind of test with sound. Um, but his famous his first famous film came out in 1931, and this is the first film that I saw. Uh, called Le Wait Le uh, Le Chienne, which translated into English is the bitch, and not talking female dogs. We're talking. Something you call a woman. Oh boy, um, that's no good. And honestly, this might be my—I think it's my favorite of the films that I saw of his. It would be <laughs> one that because it—it makes... it really. I thought it would—it was a love because I don't know if you've noticed this, Zach, with your films that you watched. Mm -hmm. A lot of his films are love triangles. Would you say that's true for most of the films that you saw? There's some love triangle going on. Yes, except for the Grand Illusion. That's okay. the only one, which I'll talk about. So the 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 Le Chini or whatever is a love triangle, but I thought it would end. I thought it would be a happy movie because I don't ever do research before watching the films. I watch it and then do the research. Exactly. I thought it would be a happy movie, but it is. Fairly sad. I, I was just surprised um, by the the there really is no good characters in it. And that's kind of like an overarching theme with a lot of his movies. There is no great, there is no one, like, there's not, like, the, the most moral character, really. I think everyone in, like, the movie actually begins with a puppet show that explains this whole philosophy saying there is no uh, good or bad person. These are just people going about their lives. And so I thought this was a really interesting film to kind of begin that, uh, that idea and to start his career. And I, I like the film. 
Um, but let's continue on. So you, so he, at this point, he's now becoming a famous director in France. Uh, so what was the first one chronologically that you saw or like chronologically and when it came out? Uh, chronologically, it was, uh, the human Grand illusion probably. What? Oh, wait, which one? Uh, I think it's the human beasts, uh, 1939. No. Uh, let's okay. Grand Illusion with thirty-seven. Oh, thirty-seven. Then yes. So it's the La Grande Illusion, which is in nineteen thirty-seven. It uh, takes place in World War One, um, and it's kind of the original, the Great Escape. What happens is two French pilots immediately, like almost immediately in the movie, get captured. Like it's in a way, and this is in- th- this is the interesting thing about um, old movies. I feel like they get to the point real quick. And then they allow us to examine the characters and the flaws later. Uh, so, like, this guy is about to meet his girl. A captain comes in and goes, hey, we got to go fly over uh, Germany. He goes, okay. We cut to the Germans. And then these two come into, the like, their office and go, hey, these two just uh, uh, crash landed in our uh, occupied space. Like, okay, take them to prison. Um the movie was surprising because for the longest time, I always thought The Grand Illusion was like a really sad movie, uh, like a like an All Quiet on the Western Front. Because I remember when I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, that movie is sad. Like that movie's mm-hmm. dark. Um, yeah, with him in the trench and the butterfly and the kid did you going read back. The book? I did. Re- I did read the book, Sam. Because of high school? Uh, uh, no, because I mean, uh, that was. You know, it's not coincidental, okay? It's co- uh, coincidental, but I read the book, okay? Just like you on your deathbed saying that you were on the, you know, flew out of trains and on the side of airplanes. Um, but anywho, Hoodle, I really thought this was going to be a dark film, but there's a lot of levity, like a lot of levity. Uh, like someone dies and it, it's not, like there's no close-up on someone's face, you know, seeing the reaction. Uh, and there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, kind of goofing around. <laughs> um, there's one scene that I thought was really interesting, and I haven't seen this in any film, or especially films back in uh, the 30s, is there's a scene where the uh, the prisoners, the English and uh, Paris uh, French prisoners, are putting on a show, and they get a box full of ladies' clothing, and they pick the most feminine-looking man to put on the dress, and the guy puts on the dress, and he he does look like a woman, like a very you know uh, plain, uh, thin woman. And everybody in the room like stops and stares, stops and stares, uh, and just kind of, you know, they haven't seen a woman in forever. Of course, they don't have the internet, so they can't you know even have an image of what a, a woman looks like. So this is the first picture of. Yeah, you know, what they're what they're fighting for. Uh, wow, two sing, uh, song singings in that. I just thought that was interesting. Um, I've never. And seen... would you say the the movie? What would you say is like the political connotation of the movie? Uh, war should be respectful, and war sometimes. Yeah, war like war. Some people have a different perspective of what war is. So there's this German soldier um, who is a famous guy, and I will tell you his name. His name is 
Eric von Strohem, which uh, we all know him as the loyal servant in uh, Sunset Boulevard. Mm. Um, and I believe he also directed a famous movie called Greed. Yes, yeah, he directed a, a famous movie in the 1920s called Greed. Uh, but he is like this very um, honor-bound uh, captain, or uh, he's a yeah, he's a captain in the German army, and he he respects this prisoner of war on the French side. He has him like over to dinner, uh, and the captain. Spoilers, uh, do you mind? Spoilers. Sure, go ahead. The the cap the French captain who he has so much respect for is escaping. And he's like yelling up to the French captain. He's like, please don't let me shoot you. Please, I don't want to shoot you. I, I respect you. And the French captain's like, yeah, F, you know, fuck you, man. He says that. He says that to the captain. It's the first time they've ever said, not really. But uh, he goes like, forget you, man. And he keeps running and the captain shoots him. And on his deathbed, he's like, I'm so sorry this happened. And the captain's like, it, the French captain was saying that's war. So in this movie, it doesn't say that war is bad. It's just saying war should be civil. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I took away. And of course, this is 1937, so you know, World yeah, War II. So what happened with his next film, uh, Le Le Beat Human? So this is I I feel his take on psychology. Uh, what it is is about a. This is a love triangle. This does have the love triangle. Like in the in the the grand illusion, there is a love interest, but just for a hot second. But really, it's just about a bunch of men running around shooting each other, World War One style. But uh, the human uh, beast, which is what it's translated to um, to English, is it's about a train conductor who has these kind of migraines or like the, like this uh, plight of slightly going insane, but he falls in love with this woman, but the woman's husband is a trained conductor who is insanely jealous and realizes that his wife was sleeping around like back in her day and gets really angry at this old man who used to sleep with her. So he kills him on a train and this other train train uh, engineer or whatever who has the plights of insanity sees it. He falls in love with the woman, um, and but they can't fall in love because it's immoral and or something, and they do fall in love. Uh, but at the very end, he it's it's kind of sad in a way. Like in a way, I feel like it could have been done better if it had like if I don't know if it was shot in the fifties when lighting mm-hmm. and film was maybe more. Uh, not so what as... I'm reading about these two films, um, La Grande Illusion and The Human Beast, especially in like the thirties, and we'll get to the next film, which is The Rules of the Game, but he was not an outright communist, but these what? films were fairly... Uh, well, what I'm reading is it says La Grand Illusion was kind of about classes and creeds all coming together at a a time of national crisis, while the, the human beast is about... Um, is a little bit more pessimistic 
about like the the like right before the fall of in a way of, uh, of France during the because the you know war was heating up at this point. Everybody is and... kind of a jerk in that movie. Not a jerk, but everybody cons- uh, resorts to a beastly state. So like the main mm-hmm. character, he is kind of our protagonist, but he eventually succumbs to these these urges to kill. Spoilers, he kills the woman he loves. Really, it seems like it's like that psychological, like kind of the uh, Norman Bates thing where the mother inside him loves a woman. Oh no, he loves the woman, but the the regressive mother inside him hates it, so he kills the woman he loves. It's kind of like yeah. that. He loves this woman, but is uh, the love to put it into terms you understand, it's kind of like when Angel becomes Angelus, you know, the moment he become he falls in love, yeah. he becomes a murderous it's I, I don't there there must be some sort of Greek well, way of saying it, but like Let's move on cuz we're kind of yeah. We got a little bit of time. Um, um, I do like that movie, I, the the, uh, the beauty. A lot of these films, though, the films East. from the 30s, I think are what he's most famous for because he was very, like, these were fairly political, in a way, anti-bourgeoisie uh, films um, that later on became uh, banned, or at least his next film became banned, and he was not... Uh, his films were not pro-French, like, high society. And that is most evident in his films, Rules of the Game, which my, I was holding this off until we got to this movie. This movie came out in 1936, which I think helps with understanding the Wait, film when? because this was literally 19, oh, sorry, 1939. Yeah, I was about to say. Um, this came out right before... France was invaded by Hitler, and they say this and, in, the cr- in the credits, or like I, I don't know if that was a Criterion or like a DVD thing, but they say in right before the movie, it says like this was on the eve of World War II. Oh, I also forgot to mention there was one other movie that I did watch. It was a thirty-minute movie uh, called "A Day in the Country," which came out. Oh, never mind. That's later. Uh, wait, is that, did that come out? Oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Anyway, so that's later. So, um, this movie was, um, the rules of the game is, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, so the rules of the game came out right before this happened, and this was a movie about, it was supposed to be a satire about the French bourgeoisie society and how kind of ridiculous and ignorant it was of, the world around him around them and kind of just how people have to fit to very specific cliche like very specific rules or else they die they might die like the but it's just it's all these kind of stupid things going on and it, it was very much akin to a lot of plays in the 40s and 50s in america like look like movies about crazy things that happen around dinner time like rumors like the uh, one the play that you were in, in... And, uh, and, uh, angels, where they can't uh, escape. It's the um. Ooh, you're gonna make me. It's, it's a I film. don't know what you're talking about. The experimenting uh, the experimental uh, angel. It's the movie where they can't leave the dinner room for some reason. Oh, but when did that come out? Uh, it's probably the twenties or thirties. Uh, okay, well, movies. I'm talking about this is after the thirties. I feel like it is. 
this was very popular in the 40s and 50s. Rumors, there was the show that you were in in high school, like, about dinner. Look who came to dinner, or... About the guy in the wheelchair. Yeah, I love I love these the experiment. What is that one called? Uh, it's called the man who uh, the man who came to dinner. Yeah, the man who came to dinner. So like, there's so many movies after this about like crazy things that happen around dinner time, and I that was what I was getting from this was it's just a satire about you know oh. the rich being foolish and crazy things happen around dinner time around love. Someone loves this person. That person can't be loved. Um, and this actually has um, Renoir is in it. Um, Renoir wasn't actually, like, during the 20s, he was acting to express himself because his films weren't doing well. So he's he's an actor in this film. Uh, and he's, he acts in a few of his films. Um, and, yeah, so it, I, I don't know. Like, I was kind of watching it, and I was, I, I just didn't, I didn't get it. I, I didn't get why people love it so much. Like Orson Welles loved this movie and was like an influence for Citizen Kane, which came out like two years later. Uh, but this was very much on his mind when he was making Citizen Kane. And granted, some of his shots are interesting. Like he does a lot of long tracking shots. Like there's a cool tracking shot with like the the rabbits running. Um, oh, that was, that a, was pretty cool. The hunting scene. I, when really I saw cool. that, I was like, uh, I want to take a clip of this and just send it to uh, the um, PTA or the uh, PETA. I want to send it to PETA. No, I want to send it to PETA. Oh, yeah. Because it's just close-ups. Yeah, of, they definitely like, killed animals. Yeah, like they're animals. running and then they just like explode. Like they go flying through the air. Um, yes. Yeah, so I some of the camera work was fairly interesting. He also does this thing where he somehow, like, has the camera, like, right up next to actors and, like, are moving around them. Uh, like, there was a scene in in English, The Bitch, his first sound film, where they're dancing. And it's really interesting because he has the camera, like, on them. And typically, maybe the camera would be, like, on a dolly kind of moving around. But this was, like, felt handheld. Like, they, it was somehow they had... It, I don't even know how they do this, because the cameras were massive back then. But they had, like, these massive cameras, but it felt like it was, like, physically following, like it was a steady cam following them. And that was a little bit jarring for me, because I was just like, this seems really ahead of its time. So that was something that I was really interested with. Um, now you're glad his but the daddy story... uh, gave him all his money, huh? Well, you know... Anyway, I guess, but he it there's there's no denying that he was he was a good director for sound. I think sound definitely saved his career, but um, I I we'll get into it at the end. Now, um, not only did sound so this, save his career, but uh, later on we'll talk about uh, color with the river. Yeah, um, we're also probably gonna have to cut off some of the beginning. Because we are running out of time. But um, what was I going to say? So this movie came out, Rolls of the Game. And much like kind of Michael Powell's in the 60s when he made Peeping Tom, this in a way ruined, or not ruined, but it really was a huge setback in his career. Because uh, it was a time in which France was trying to, all countries were trying to have some sort of 
national unity. And this movie, I guess, caused an uproar and was very poo-pooed in the French society. So much so uh, that, well, it was partially because of how bad it was, but also because he predicted people were going to start coming. The French or the the Germans were going to start coming. But he fled uh, Paris and he moved someplace else. Pretty, I think it was still in France. And he made a short, and he made another film that didn't do too well. And um, and he decided he was going to move to uh, to America. Cause wait, let me look this up real quick. What was the movie he made? Uh, whatever. So he decided he was going to move to America, and he made a few. American films, um, all in English. The one that I started watching but I didn't finish is probably his most famous American film. And this, he was doing it like he, this was through Hollywood, was called The Southerner, um, which very much influenced by uh, John Ford and Grapes of Wrath and just people like Frontier kind of style making a name for your, or like it's about a farmer. A family of farmers, and this is the one that I saw that wasn't a love triangle, but it was about a family of farmers or a farmer family who like risk everything and try to start a farm. And it's from the 40s, and it was just very, you know, I, I don't know, it was just very optimistic, not not optimistic, but like this is what America is. It's like fighting for what you know, and like sure there'll be struggles. It was just very much that kind of like, you know. The, the poor working their way up. Um, and then the other film that I saw from this time period is I guess he went... This is why this kind of threw me off. But he made a film called, in 1946, uh, called A Day in the Country, uh, which is French. And I guess was filmed in, in fr- French. Wait. I'm confused. Well, you should talk about the movie that you saw, The River, which actually I well, I do want to no, but I, I want to talk about this real quick, um, because this was I, the reason I watched this film was because it was yeah it was filmed in France, um, it was supposed to be like some people say it would have been his magnus opus, but unfortunately, and it actually says in the beginning of the film, um, he had to leave and go shoot lower depths. Um, which actually and, it sounds kind of interesting to me. Yeah, so he had to go and shoot lower depths, and he uh, he wasn't able to finish the film. So the movie was released as a short, and um, it also had the a river. It was shot up like on the river, and it was kind of centered around a river, um, and um. It was pretty good. I mean, it it was, it was a little. It was a love triangle. Um, it was just about a fam or like these these people who work in the country. Like these people from Paris come in, and these two boys who work in this country, who where these people from Paris are visiting, uh, try to seduce this girl. It it he kind of forces himself on her, and or not forces himself, but it. It seems like he was kind of forcing himself on her, but I guess she married the wrong guy, and you could tell there was a lot that like was missing. Yeah, once um, again, his his uh, 
the feel of women in this is very much, or like the the take on women is very much 1930s. Um, yeah, uh, but he his last American film was A Woman on the Beach in nine in 47, which I was he was taken from him and ruined in the edit uh, and was a flop, and that really made him leave Hollywood. And like now, I'm just gonna just go back to directing various things in different country and he goes to India and he films the movie The River which is probably his last great film which came out in 1951 and Scorsese says this was his this and The Red Shoe are the best color films the best uses of color wait The River and The Red um, Shoe The Red Shoe yeah mm. cuz this was the first film in Technicolor in India um, and was also uh, Renoir's first color film. Because so far he'd only been shooting black and white. Um, so it was, it was very, um, it was very beautiful. I mean, it was pretty. Like the, you could tell, like the, like it was a celebration in a way of Indian culture. Because um, they really had a lot. They mixed a lot of documentary kind of sh- uh, shots with this story structure about uh, a coming of age story of these two girls falling in love with this, this uh, ex, uh, this veteran from America um, who uh, comes and like tries to run away from America because he's missing a leg and he doesn't want pity. And it's about these two girls falling in love with him and then shit hits the fan and reality hits them in the face. And it's kind of like the end. It's a very coming of age story. Um, and it's also this other, uh, there's, so there, I guess there's three girls, uh, when one of them's an, in, uh, an, uh, a, a native, uh, woman who's being raised by this British man, which is kind of, the movie is through the eyes of colonial Britain, which isn't really great, but, um, and it's all these three girls kind of coming into their own, I guess. And it is a great film. I, I thought it was a really good film, um. It was kind of ahead of its time in a lot of ways of being honoring a culture that is not typically talked about in Hollywood in the 50s. At the same time, you know, Heinz, you look back and you're like, okay, this guy owns a sweatshop in India. So it's kind of like, I, I don't know how much we can love these characters, but it's about, it's from the eyes of the girls. And, um, you know, it's it's a good film. It's yeah, it's it's very beautiful. Um I I was kind of it's I mean still for me though, it the, I I didn't love it. So um, overall it sounds like you aren't really taken with um this man that they call. Yeah. And then just to wrap him up um into a nice little bow cuz that was kind of in the fifties, he was doing some stuff, some successful, some not. Um, and he ever he get eventually back dis- into ceramics? No, he never got back into ceramics. Uh, he made a film with Igmar Bergman, or oh. sorry, Ig- oh. sorry, Ingrid Bergman, um, in fifty six, uh, called Al- Elena et la Holmes. Um, uh, which was, I guess, a failure at the box office. Um, he also decided to try to make movies in a TV kind of setup where he um, sets up a bunch of 
cameras and has them all like five cameras running at once um but it was a failed experiment didn't really do too well and that was kind of the end of the 50s and the last film that he did uh was called le capriol ebingle <laughs> i fucked I, that was not good what's the that name of the director again renoir um a bing i don't know um but uh, let's see if there's a no. Um, but oh, now it took me to the beginning of the thing. But that film also didn't really do too well. And then the the last movie that I actually saw some of uh, was his last thing he ever directed, uh, which was um, which was called. See, everything in this is in French in this article, which is really annoying. Uh, but it's called the the little uh, theater of Jean Renoir, and that came out in '71, and it was a TV movie uh, in four parts. I watched the f- first part, which is about a homeless couple who um, basically die together. It was actually fairly touching, um, and then it turns into a weird opera, and it was definitely the most obscure of his films. Because uh, it was an opera about like modern times and like having to take the subway to work and like buying. It kind of honestly felt like true stories in a way of just like these these weird little vignettes of things happening in modern life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I like but it. But yeah, I, so I that, think I... that was the end of his career. And then he... Uh, it stops um, like he gets sick um he gets an honorary oscar in the in the 70s and 75 or something and spends the rest of his life writing autobiographies and just writing and then eventually dies in the late 70s Bye. and at this point <laughs> that's at this point he's like very well regarded as an amazing director but for the rest for the last half of his life for the last 20 years of his life he was like getting no money for um his films um and he had this resurgence in the 60s of popularity because of the french new wave um but i don't know i'm i'm still i'm still torn by him i like him i don't think i'm gonna go out of my way to watch more of his films um yeah i i got i got other stuff to watch so yeah i uh, but if I, just, you, if I had to recommend okay. one of them, I would definitely recommend the rules of the game. I think that definitely is a fun move, a fun and also different movie. Because I love movies that intertwine different stories and do it well. Um, I just don't. I don't know. Like, I feel like he. His none of his movies really I, I thought were that. They just seem very dated. They seem like movies from the thirties. Of course, like done well. Oh, and one thing actually we didn't even talk about this. Yeah, we're three one, minutes over, by the way. I know, but like there's a lot to kind of unpack. But the one thing, the one theme of his that went throughout his whole films was um everyone has their reasons. Kind of this idea that everyone there is no good, there's no bad. There is, it's, even the bad guys have their own uh, reasons for doing things. And, like, that's the interesting part is what is their reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an interesting thing to kind of examine. But um, 
I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, I really have no where, I just, none of his, his stuff really spoke to me in a way that I, I really cared what the reasons were. Because it wasn't like one, they had a reason that was very compelling. It was like everyone just did their own thing. And I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I don't like him that much. All right. Well, I like him. I'm glad we watched it. Um, um, but yeah, so, so next week we're doing uh, our last end of the year thing. We're doing uh, another well, no, so exclusive. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, I, uh, I, I really love these these old tapes that we found. So uh, we got a guy, at least I have a guy down in Pittsburgh who restores all these things. And I got just so sick and tired of him like waiting a year or like months to do it. Uh, so I finally, uh, don't worry, Sam, I finally bought a gun and I went down nice. there and uh, put it in his uh, temple. And then I bought another gun and put the other one in his uh, in his mouth. And I said, Wait, if you so don't... you bought a gun and then you were just like, wait, hold on a second. And you yeah. were just like called up and he was like, I need another gun while you had the gun to his temple. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool because when I came back, he was already halfway done with it. Uh, because when oh, I good. didn't have a gun, he said, uh, oh, I'm I'm uh, like just getting started. Uh, and then when I put the gun to his temple uh, and I came back with the second gun, he's like, I'm halfway done. And then I put the gun in his mouth and the temple. And uh, we got it. It's going to be done uh, by next week. So that's pretty cool. Great. And from uh, what I can hear, it sounds like it's a brief from little bit. It sounds like we have Andrew Mellon yeah, is no, on there. Yeah, uh, it's, We have it's, an actual recording with Andrew Mellon. Um, it's pretty cool. There's going to be and three also guests on that episode. A very young Louis B. Mayer, who is the namesake of the uh, uh, Meyer Award, or I guess Louis B. Meyer. Mayor Meyer, oh, whatever. Um, yeah, but it's going to be a great episode, so everybody uh, come on down uh, to listen to this, and we'll see yeah. uh, what happens. So thank you all for listening. Stay clean, Spider-Man. <laughs> all right, bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.